0: Welcome to Trial Lawyer Talk. I'm Scott Glovsky, and I'm your host for this podcast where we speak with some of the best trial lawyers in the United States. We simply have great lawyers, tell great stories from cases that had a profound impact on them. So let's get started. Sitting with a great trial lawyer. I have a habit of saying, Phenomenal trial lawyer. And Francisco Duarte Paco is a trial lawyer that handles both criminal cases and civil cases. He's based out of Seattle, but is truly a gifted, genuine, authentic trial lawyer and an especially talented teacher. Of trialers, Paco. Thanks for being with us.
1: Hi, Scott. Good to be with you. It's been a long time. It's a thrill to see you again. So my eyes have finally come to lay upon you after so many years. I don't know, five, six years, maybe. Maybe more. Far too long. It has been far too long, indeed. But it's so wonderful to be with you.
0: Oh, thank you. It makes me feel good. Can you share with us a story of a case that had a profound impact on you?
1: There have been several, uh, maybe many. Um, And as I think back on my cases, uh, they all seem to start to blend in one way or another. Mainly because um, when you work with someone and you have the honor and the privilege to represent a human being who's come to you and said I want you I trust you and I want you to be my spokesperson it's an incredible responsibility but it's also a thrill and one of the things that I've realized over the years is that people need someone to fight for them and so many of us having had that and so it's truly amazing when you can take on a person's case a person's problems and say to them and to yourself I'm gonna do everything within my power to make a difference in your life and I am gonna fight for you Um, and that's what trial lawyers do we fight for people
0: Paco let me ask you you said Many of us have not had people to fight for us. Where does that come from in Paco's life?
1: He comes uh, several places. Uh, Thinking back on my own childhood, uh, my mom and dad didn't have someone to fight for them. My dad was uh, very ill and uh, we were born, we lived in Colombia, that's where I was born, and he couldn't get medical help and medical treatment there. So he came to the United States for help and, um, you know, the doctors in Elmhurst Hospital in Queens really fought for my dad because um, he didn't have someone to fight for him when he was living in Colombia. And they gave him a, a, a dialysis machine that he could take home. They gave it to him. And so my mom and dad uh, did the dialysis at home and then you know my dad eventually died when I was around 14 then there was just my mom and she was cleaning houses in the Upper East Side in Manhattan for extremely wealthy people and that's how she you know took care of us and so she um, she didn't have someone to fight for her and defend her and I'll never forget watching Roots you know when I first came to the United States and I'm watching this story about slavery in America and I'm thinking no one's fighting for for the slaves and um, I thought a lot about that too and so I I think um, those are some of my earliest memories of thinking about you know fighting for people and helping people yeah so, as you were saying, you know, I, I was telling you all the stories bland, um, but it's always easy to remember the most recent. And uh, two weeks ago, I just finished a two week trial, and um, that is sticking with me today for a couple of reasons. Um, one, the trial represented in my experience in this moment in time. Um, What's happening around the country and how fragmented and divided we are as a people and tribalism was so ever-present in this trial uh, that i had a very difficult time managing that my client is uh his name is samir gardi he is from iraq he's a kurd so he lives in the kurdistan area of iraq And Kurds, as you know, are um, not having such an easy time in the world for many, many years. And this guy had, uh, as a child, being uh, the victim of bombings and uh, the victim of seeing uh, his people being killed and affected by by the war. He's actually uh, an attorney, he's a lawyer in Iraq, and he worked for the United States because he wanted to bring democracy to Iraq and to the Kurdistan region. And he was lucky enough to come to the United States because of his work for America. And he was a U.S. citizen um, when um, he was involved in a terrible uh, automobile crash. He had just finished working that morning at a local hospital in outside of Seattle where he was working as an interpreter, uh, interpreting for folks in Kurdistan and Iraqi and helping them explain to American doctors what was wrong with them. And he felt really fulfilled and privileged to be able to help people communicate with doctors so that they can make a difference in their lives. When he finished his interpretation services that morning, he was uh, heading home and on his way home he didn't even have a minute to react when he was hit head on by a car. The car was being driven by a woman who um, who by all measures uh, had a hard life and basically she was working as a prostitute. And so she had problems with the law and those problems meant that she um, had warrants and didn't want to go back to jail so she's driving this car that morning with expired tabs and a police officer sees that and decides to light her up and pull her to the side of the road but she panicked she did not want to go back to jail and so she took off in the kent area which is about 15 miles south of seattle and she sped like a demon and the police knew this and in spite of the fact that the police knew this they chose to chase her down the road um, against policy and protocols they knew that um, you don't chase someone through an urban area at excessive speeds running through red lights hitting another car to flee the police you know going onto the oncoming lane multiple times to flee the police and you know the police officers knew from training that you don't endanger the community that way for chasing someone for expired tabs but they did and she was determined to get away so much so that she crossed uh, the center line went into oncoming traffic at a high speed of rate coming around a curve down a hill and hit my client, hit Samir head-on. Samir ended up in the hospital uh, in a coma. Um, he His order was ruptured, had broken ribs, a, a terrible complex fracture of his right leg, um, head injury, concussion. Uh, today he has double vision and so forth and it's it's amazing that he lived so this is a case that i took on on uh, less than a week's notice for a young attorney who um was um being outspanned and being at hustle by a very seasoned attorney in washington and so i talked to him and i talked to samir And in spite of the fact that there were so many problems with the case, I decided to give it a whirl. And we did. Unfortunately, it's one of the more embarrassing outcomes that I've had in a very long time. Um, It was a quick verdict, a very fast verdict. I think the jury came back within 20 minutes. I don't think they even spent time reading the jury instructions because they were fairly extensive. Um, And so I lost and I lost for Samir the amazing thing about it though is that um, Samir was really happy with my effort he said man you spoke like Martin Luther King and I was so impressed but those words were um, hard to swallow considering the loss he says look I um, I want you to come visit me in Kurdistan. I want you to come and spend some time with me and my family there. Um, What an honor, you know, that was. I didn't have the best experience in jury selection in this case. Um, Let me me
0: interrupt you for a moment. How did that feel when you have lost a case? For your client who's gravely injured and your client tells you how much he appreciates your help and offers to, to take you to his country and host you in other words shows you love and kindness
1: yeah he, he definitely did um, he showed me a lot of kindness and love and frankly uh, although I met him in such a short period of time um, I too fell in love with him Um, and learning his story about courage about being a Kurd in Iraq working for the Americans knowing that that is the type of conduct and behavior that puts you at extreme in extreme jeopardy not just to yourself but to your family, your loved ones and the fact that he did that and that he was willing to risk it all to bring democracy to his country just made you want to fight for this guy. I mean, his his risk, his his challenges way surpassed the one that I was dealing with. I mean, in courtroom in the United States, no one's gonna die, no one's gonna attack my family, no one's gonna do anything awful or harmful to, to us one way or the other. But what he was doing for america in iraq took courage that was beyond comprehension and um, when you start learning his family story and who he is you fall in love with him but what we did that also helped was that the saturday before Monday when we started the trial so just to, a day in between the trial day and you know meeting him for the first time we brought in um, about seven lawyers trial lawyers college lawyers who came to a session on Saturday and Mike trainer happened to be in, in town at that time uh, one of TLC psychodramatists and we all came together to work on this case and do the best that we could with the limited time that we had to learn his story. And it was hard because he's here alone. I mean, his family's in Iraq. He had some friends here, but he also didn't understand how important it was to have lay witnesses who can come and tell his story. So we had to do it with him alone. And in that day, you know, several hours of working Saturday, with Mike Trainer's help and all the TLC lawyers, you know that when um, you do the discovery story exercises with people, you get to know them well. And that helped. I think he saw in that process that the lawyers that we brought together to discover his story so that we could tell at a trial showed a lot of love for him and gave him a lot of trust and confidence in what we were doing for him. And so, um, that created a bond and so when he told me at the end of this trial that he wanted me to visit him I felt great but at the same time it was extremely painful because I felt like I let him down and uh, he needed my help in ways to secure his future and I failed to do that um, and he was extremely gracious so His graciousness added to the pain that I was feeling. Uh, It was more like he was taking care of me at that moment than I taking care of him.
0: So you feeling that you let him down, being met with his taking care of you, it's
1: tough it was it, it, it it's it's kind of a surreal moment right that here's a guy who um, was counting on my work with my colleagues from the office with Scott Smith um, and Steve Fury and others who wanted to really make sure that we learned his story well um, yeah it was really it was really hard it was really hard when I think back at the moment, it sort of helps me today, at least two weeks after this trial, to give myself a little bit permission for having lost this case, that I, at least I can walk away with the satisfaction, maybe that, rather the fulfillment of knowing that he felt that I care for him, that I loved him, and that I did everything I could with the limitations that we had to really help him, and I think he saw that and I think he was very grateful for that so um, but I don't think that would have been possible without the trial lawyers college I don't think that I would have learned to care for him as deeply as we did so that we can tell his story right and we did tell the story right well maybe not actually I think if I had a chance to do it again I would do it differently but I am stuck in this trial for a different reason as well not just because I lost the case for him and didn't end up helping him but um, the anger that I'm feeling today about how fragmented our country is was so evident in this trial and our jury selection was uh, a complete moment of tribalism at its worst not at its best Um, and you can see the groups within the jury pool how they were firmly in their positions and um, I feel like as a trial lawyer and someone who's gone through a trial lawyers college that I should have been better equipped to have bonded this group together
0: well tell us about what happened what they said so um,
1: so we had um, a group of people that I would put in the category of evangelicals um, who also were connected to police officers. And they spoke about being completely angry and mad at anyone who would say anything bad about the police. And that they felt that any criticism on the police was undeserved and that uh, should not be tolerated and they used terms like anger and frustration and distrust for uh, any sort of criticism or attack on on police conduct and police behavior how did you respond openly I, I talked to them about the fact that um, I understand why it's so important to have a police force and why it's so important to believe in the rule of law. And I just let them tell me exactly how they felt. Uh, the conversation turned out to be very positive to the point that several of them would say and did say that if they were in Samir's shoes, they would not want a juror like themselves, Uh, which was a good moment. And I think the only way that we could have gotten there was because of my training at the trial lawyers college, that we can have a very genuine and honest discussion with someone that they will be revealing those sort of um, biases. Uh, But it was opposed. opposing counsel obviously and the judge did not grant any challenges for cause in spite of the fact of what these jurors had said at the same time there were others in the similar position what we call the same tribe who refused to acknowledge, even though you can see it in their body language, in their facial expressions, in the way that they sat, in the way that they crossed their arms, in the way that they turned their bodies away from you, those sort of things, you knew uh, that they would hold any criticism against the police, against the person that was bringing that challenge, against us. And of course, when the court gets up and says, can you follow my my instructions and can you be fair and impartial? What is a person going to say? Yes, of course. And so they sat. One of the amazing things in this jury selection process, too, was that there were people who have had bad experiences with the police. But interestingly enough, these folks were um, extremely open and candid about their biases towards the police. And so they said similar things, like, you know, I don't think I would be right in this case because I think I would hold... against the police those individuals were excused and I didn't oppose that either because I felt that that was the right thing to do that was the honorable thing to do that is the thing that you do when you believe in the rule of law of course it hurt my hurt me the, the side of me that wants to win to see them lose to see them leave but the right thing to do was legally they, they described an internal bias that was an appropriate challenge for cause. And of course then opposing counsel and the judge had no problems excusing these people. So what we ended up having on our jury pool was an extremely pro-police um, jury. But that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know. I think what was a bad thing is that I did not know at that moment um, how to best connect with them. And I think that there is a way to reach them. But given the moment and the situation, I felt like I failed. Because we know we can connect with people who are different from us. Uh, Their stories are our stories their personal issues are our personal issues Um, Their trials and tribulations are not different than anyone else's in that courtroom and I was not good enough at connecting that with them but I think part of it is also my anger towards what's happening in our country we're so divided that we only speak of hate we don't speak of unity or connection anymore and people feel more justified to dig their heels in the sand and and say outrageous things because we can now. Um, And I like that part about it. I mean, it's openness, it's candor, but I also think that people are not willing to look beyond their tribe. And um, so tribalism worked. Uh, Against us this time around
0: Do you think that either? the color of your skin or the way you talk or The fact that your client is Kurdish from Iraq Had any bearing
1: Um. My first thought to that question is, you know, uh, oh, God, he's playing the race card, you know? He's, he's talking about race. But, yeah, race was very present in that room. Um, so much so that um, the few people of color that were in this jury panel, <clears throat> with the exception of one, um, never made it to the jury pool to actually sit in this trial. Um, I do think that uh, the fact that he, that Samir spoke with an extremely strong, um, accent, he looked exactly from Iraq, and that he was here alone and didn't have others present with him, made him, um, I think more vulnerable for the stereotype. Uh, I don't know if my accent, the way I look, had any bearing on the trial. Sometimes I know it does, because you can see people's facial expressions to what I say or do. Um, But I don't know. Uh, I want to think that we could transcend those moments, but I didn't transcend it this time.
0: So we have many tribes... Right. We've got the pro-police tribe. We've got the tort reformer tribe. We've got different races, different nationalities. How do we make our tribe the jury's tribe so we can get over those differences and connect?
1: Well, we are all human. We all have... um yet some time in our lives we had a mom and a dad that came together and, uh, and made us we have that in common we have in common our feelings our emotions we have in common the hardships of life that we all experience from being a little child who's hungry and cries to later on in life you know, feeling hurt by others or hurting others because we did something wrong. At the end of the day, we are all really the same. We're not different. Um, There was not one person in that jury that has not had a human trial or a human tribulation that does not connect us all in one way or another. People have been punished. People have been betrayed. People have been... um, Berated. People have felt love. People have felt hugs. People have felt compassion, empathy. So we were all human. Um, but for whatever reason, in this moment, at this time, we do not see ourselves as one and the same. We focus on our differences more than we focus on our similarities. And that's where I, as a lawyer, feel that I... didn't do enough to really bring this group of people together so that they can see that we are all really one and the same. And I could not get them to the point to see beyond the tribe that they belong to and see that we're all part of the same one.
0: And if you were to do it over, how would you do it differently?
1: Well, I was afraid you were gonna ask me that question because I've been wrestling with this quite a bit. Um, There are a couple of things that I think I would do. Knowing what I know today, I would have taken more of a leadership in the jury selection process. Uh, Here's what I mean by that. Um, There is a way that I do jury selection. And this was a judge that um, it's new and he had said he was going to do some things and so I was counting on those things but he forgot or neglected to do them and so I wasn't prepared for that moment um, and I would have asked for a longer period of time a jury selection and would have explained to the court why it was so important to have it um, I think that um, I needed to be more real with this jury about what I was seeing in a way that would not have come across as judgmental and as accusatory. But in a way that I could have said to them, We're really focusing so much on our differences today. Why is that? Why why are we so focused on why we're we so different as opposed to what makes us all alike? And I could have shared stories to why. And how I do that today, you know, Um, I'm having a hard time uh, dealing with people who in today's climate feel justified, you know, to say that black lives don't matter, you know, Um, um, but I need to understand why they say that and help them. So I think one of the things that I would do differently this time around is to to really talk with a great deal of candor about uh, why we focus so much on the differences and not on the similarities and see if I could have then uh, facilitated discussion with this group as to what makes us better when we focus on our differences or when we focus on our common ground. Um, and maybe that would have made a difference. Um, But I didn't do that then, and so I've been thinking a lot about that today. Um, I think I would have um, spent a great deal of time really addressing that issue.
0: Reminds me of something that Maran Chalupka from Nebraska, Scottsdale Nebraska, often says that love always trumps hate, and while that's a nice phrase sometimes in our current political climate and society, it's a little tougher to believe that sometimes.
1: You know, it is so true, I mean, that, that very same thought occurred to me during this trial and what I was dealing with was that I too have now lost faith that love trumps everything. Based on what I'm seeing and what's happening in our country today, I'm actually living in a period of time where I'm scared for our future, um, because we're so fragmented and it seems so uh, so. It's like a runaway train right now. That how do you arrest this train from wrecking the world? And I think um, if I um, If I reflect genuinely on my work as a trial lawyer in this case, I lost that part of me as well, that believes that love love trumps everything, and because I didn't believe that, I was never in a position to really embrace all these jurors in a way that they would have felt that I too understood them, and that I understand where they were coming from. And so instead of building my own tribe in this trial, I missed that opportunity. But the other thing that I would do differently is exactly this topic that we're talking about, which is that um, I needed to deal with my very strong anger that I have today about how we are so different and not so alike. and, f- and fear. Fear. And, and anger. I mean, this, I mean, I, I feel angry about what's happening with us. You know, if, if, you, if we think about people in the Midwest, you know, uh, and their struggles, in many ways, they're not, in every respect, it's not different from my mom's struggle when I was a kid. She had a responsibility to take care of her children she had a, a job to do that didn't pay very well she had the fear that she could not take good care of us and that sense of insecurity is a significant source of stress and pain and so when we think about people in small communities around the country who are feeling that sort of economic hardship it's no different than my mom, my mom's and uh, And their struggle is very real sadly enough I think that um, given the status of our country I feel that people are have bought into the idea that for example trial lawyers are bad for America or that you know attacking an insurance company is bad for America because that makes us less safe when in fact um, keeping them accountable makes us more safe
0: Paco, what if you would have started your voir dire with what you just described about how things were difficult for your mom?
1: Um, I think if I had connected to how people are struggling themselves, I think it would have helped to um, bridge a gap But i think i need to do more than that kind of work because um some of the folks in this jury pool that had this very pro-police attitude and i don't care what the police do wrong i can never find anything wrong with them because they're part of our tribe and that's what tribalism does right tribalism at its worst protects its own even when its own is doing something wrong because this whole concept of preservation I think I needed to go deeper than that uh, concept to to be able to talk to them in ways that are meaningful and so since I'm not part of that tribe I don't know enough on how to connect with them which means that I need to do my homework and um, spend some time putting myself in their shoes and really seeing the world from their point of view so that I can speak to them in a way that it's meaningful to them. And meaningful to my client, because at the end of the day, it's no different. There's no doubt in my mind that if any of these pro-police jurors had suffered the same fate that Samir did, and they looked at the case on the merits they would have said, what they did was wrong. Um, So, yeah. Um, But the thing is that Jumping into a case and doing it at the last minute might feel heroic, but at the same time uh, it's fret with problems and That's where uh, Preparation comes in and what we've learned at the Traveler's College is that you have to do a lot of work And I mean a lot of work hundreds of hours in a case Just to present, you know a short segment of that whole story in a way that makes sense And brings justice, you know, forward. Um, So, yeah.
0: It takes a lot of courage to talk about cases you've lost and things that have hurt you. And it's such a gift to our listeners to have such a wonderfully successful and gifted trial lawyer like yourself sharing your your pains and your wisdom. So, what advice do you have for young lawyers out there who want to become trial lawyers?
1: Um, I think that the most important thing about our work is that we cannot measure it by a vertical settlement. We have to measure our work by how we impact people and how we influence people for the betterment of our race. And I think that um, if we spend time doing this work, we have to expect losses, and they're going to be very painful. And that when we do lose, we have to take a hard look at what we did wrong, where we failed, and then get back on that horse and do it again and do it again and keep doing it. Uh, Because it's the only way that we can make a difference. And I guess Samir said it well, Uh, fighting for him meant a lot. You know, he fought for others for many years, and this was my chance to fight for him. And uh, that was a gift uh, that he felt that I gave him. Uh, Obviously, I wasn't thinking about that at the time, but he made that very clear to me that he received an incredible gift from our belief in him and, and for what we do. So, my advice is keep fighting. Uh, we're fighting the good fight, and it's a fight worth taking even when uh, we take our lumps.
0: Well, Paco, thank you so much for teaching us today. And you've taught us a lot about jury selection and connecting with jurors. And I'm very grateful for your lessons. Thank you.
1: You're welcome, Scott. Thank you.
0: joining us today for Trial Lawyer Talk. If you like the show, I'd really appreciate it if you could give us a good review on iTunes, and I'd love to get your feedback. You can reach me at www.scottglovsky.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-G-L-O-V-S-K-Y.com, and I'd love to hear your feedback. You can also check out the book that I published called Fighting Health Insurance Denials, A Primer for Lawyers. That's on Amazon. Uh, I put the book together based on 20 years of suing health insurance companies for denying medical care to people, and it provides a general outline of how to fight health insurance denials. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you in the next episode.